Join me in prayer. Oh, Father, we want to hear from you. So we ask that by your spirit, you would speak your word to your people, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts and that you'd make us wise, not just wise in what we think, but wise in what we do and who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't yet have your Bible open and turn to Psalm 90, I want to encourage you to do that, to make sure that what I say to you is written there. I remember quite clearly that the last time I preached on Psalm 90, it was December 29th. 2012, the, the Sunday before Cindy and I began our last year at West Shore Evangelical Free Church back in Pennsylvania. I mean, we knew at the time that we might be leaving, but we weren't sure. And so we had shared that possibility with only one person in the church, the chairman of the Board of Elders, who was also a good friend. Well, within a week, uh, of preaching that sermon. My good friend died of a heart attack. He, he was 70 years old and, and in excellent shape. He, he was the retired athletic director of a nearby college and, and he exercised every day. And, and then a mere two weeks later, uh, another good friend in church died. Not quite as unexpectedly, but, but it was still a jolt. And for months, the, the verse around which Psalm 90 turns kept reverberating in my mind and heart. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Proverbs 3 and 4, say that blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the, the person who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire compares with her. I mean, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. And I've been told by a man I considered quite wise that wisdom is the art of living well. It's more than knowledge and understanding. It, it is understanding put to good use. And somewhere near the end of his long life, Moses, the man of God, writes this psalm. And at the core of this psalm is a prayer for wisdom. And in the verses of this psalm, if you listen carefully, it is a revelation of what it takes to make a heart truly wise. And one of the main things a wise heart knows, Moses declares over and over again in this psalm, is that our days are numbered, which is obvious, of course. I mean, everyone knows that our days are numbered, that, that we will not live forever on this earth. I mean, we know it. But does that knowledge make us wise? Do, do we put that understanding to good use? 
Or, or do we try to put that dark little mind, that, that dark little idea out of our minds and keep it out of our minds so we can live as if there will always be a tomorrow? I mean, tomorrow I, I can put my finances in order. Tomorrow I can make things right with the people in my life. Tomorrow I can break this habit. Tomorrow I can tell my friend about Jesus. Tomorrow I can pay attention to my soul. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But wisdom says there may not be a tomorrow. Your days are numbered. And wisdom also says the number of your days is few. I mean, before you know it, they're gone. Swept away in the sleep of death, Moses declares. And the ancient words, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, will be spoken over your open grave. I mean, human life, Moses tells us, is like the grass of the field. In the morning, it, it springs to life, looking like it will live forever. I mean, young, green, flourishing. But, but after a day in the desert sun, it is dry and withered, ready to die. I mean, as Psalm 39 proclaims, not just once, but twice, and we just heard it, each man's life is but a breath. I mean, a passing puff of spirit that simply flies away. Now, I, I know, I know it doesn't feel that way when you're young. I mean, it didn't feel that way to me when I was young. See, when you're young, it feels like forever before you get out of school. And it feels like forever before you can settle down and get your own home and maybe even get married. And then those days of raising children, I mean, cooking and cleaning and caring for sick kids and struggling to balance work and home and make ends meet. I mean, those days feel like they will never end. I mean, will the kids ever get out of diapers? I mean, will they ever get out of school? Will they ever stop acting like teenagers? I mean, will we ever get ahead? And then one day you wake up and they're gone. The children are gone. The days are gone. And your life is almost gone. I mean, sometimes at a memorial service, there will be a slideshow. Have you ever seen one of those? If not in the sanctuary, in the lobby as you enter, or in the reception afterwards. I mean, moments frozen in time by a camera and then, then displayed on a screen for everyone to see. A young husband with his new bride. A daddy with his little girls. Family vacations, holiday meals. The same dad now nestled on the couch reading to his grandchildren. I mean, have you ever pictured yourself up on that memorial screen? Because all those pictures I mentioned come from our family album. See, looking ahead, the days of our lives seem like they will stretch on forever. But looking back, they're like a, a slideshow at a funeral. And wisdom? Wisdom is that backward glance, looking at life from the perspective of those who have already lived it. And 
And the greatest wisdom of all, Moses declares, is life seen from the perspective of God. I mean, think about it. If I, a 60-something man looking backwards, say that life is short, I mean, how short it must be from the perspective of God. Where a, where a thousand years, a, a millennium is like a day just gone by. Like a few hours in the night. I mean, wisdom declares our days are numbered. And their number is few. And wisdom also says those days are hard. Now, this is a part of Psalm 90 we may not like to hear, but, but wisdom demands that we hear it because wisdom doesn't hide its head in the sand, hoping that dark and difficult truths will go away. You know, wisdom faces the truth and that it puts the knowledge gained to good use. And the length of our days, Moses declares, is 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. That's fairly accurate. And yet their span, he says, is but trouble and sorrow. And we finish those years with a moan. We go out, as T.S. Eliot once wrote, not with a bang, but a whimper. And why? I mean, why are our days filled with such trouble and sorrow? Why do they end with a moan? Well, verses 7 through 9 says, because we are all under the judgment of God. God has set our iniquities before his face, even our secret sins in his holy presence. And against our sins and the sins of this world, God's holy wrath continually burns. I mean, remember where Moses was when he wrote these words. He's leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. And he has done so for nearly 40 years. And why are they in the wilderness? Well, because they have rebelled against God. I mean, they, they refused to enter the promised land. Even when God commanded them to go in and take it, they shrunk back. And they said, no, 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 we can't go in. There, there are giants in that land as if there weren't giants in the land of Egypt. So in judgment, God sentenced this people to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until the entire generation of unbelieving parents died. So Moses knows what he's talking about when he speaks of trouble and sorrow. He has been leading these people through the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin. And therefore, he knows that this life of trouble and sorrow is a result of their sin. But, but that's not just true of Israel during the 40 years of wandering, is it? I mean, Moses, the leader of Israel, is also Moses, the author of Genesis. And in Genesis, he's the one who tells us the ancient story about the fall. How the first man and the first woman at the very fountainhead of human history rebelled against God and they brought all this trouble and sorrow upon the human race. You see, all of life, this side of heaven, is lived in the wilderness east of Eden in a land of difficulty and death outside 
of the eternal promised land. I mean, sure, there are good things in this life. And we who live in, in, in the privileged place of Boston, we know that very well. I mean, there are good things, like there were good things in the wilderness of Sinai. Good things like God's provision and guidance and his everlasting presence. Good things like family and friends and holy day celebrations. Good things like sunrise and sunset. Desert flowers and majestic mountains. Ever flowing streams and baskets of manna. And that, that cloud of God's glory that never went away. And yet, still their days were filled with trouble and sorrow until they died. And so too our days. Our days are numbered. And the days we have on this fallen planet may also be filled with trouble and sorrow. So have I managed to depress you yet? I mean, are you you're ready to send me back where I came from? I mean, is this really what it means to be wise? According to Moses, the man of God? Well, not quite. Because there's more to this psalm than Moses' cry, teach us to number our days. And there is more to life than trouble and sorrow and that final sigh. Much more. In fact, Moses' meditation on this brief and bitter life in the wilderness under the judgment of God, he is sandwiched in between two very different kinds of reflections. And in order to understand the whole psalm and to gain the heart of wisdom that it is offering us, we need to pay attention not just to the hard truth that lies in the middle, but to the beginning and to the end as well. So verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I mean, Psalm 90 does not begin with the brief and bitter life of man. It begins with the life of God. And unlike us, God's days are not numbered, and his days are not few. I mean, a thousand years in his sight, what we have just read, is like the, the mere passing of an hour in the middle of the night. And the most ancient and enduring things we know, the, the mighty mountains of the earth, were once babes in the Father's arms. I mean, he gave them birth, Moses says. He watched them grow. They're like children to him. I mean, think about that. The, the great Grand Canyon, hundreds and, uh, of millions of years old, he is as young to God as my youngest seven-year-old grandson, sweet baby James. See, from everlasting to everlasting, God is. But without beginning or end, the, the creator and sustainer of all things, infinite and eternal. And Moses says, God is also our everlasting home. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. That's the way Paul put it to the Athenians. 
the, the one who gives us birth and the one who can, if he chooses, give us eternal life. See, that's how this psalm begins, with an unequivocal declaration of God's eternal being and our life in him. Now listen carefully to how it ends. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds, your great deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor and glory to the children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I mean, something is changing in this psalm. Rather than sorrow and trouble, Moses now speaks of favor and gladness. Instead of dust and, and death and withered desert grass, he's speaking of the rising of the sun and the glory of God shining on our children. But, but how does that work? I mean, how do we get from a brief and bitter life, wandering in the wilderness, under the judgment of God, to, to the bounty of God's blessing in the sunshine of his favor? Well, the answer is, we don't. We don't. It's not something we can do. By, by force of will or exercise of human power, no matter what anyone in this modern world claims, However high up on the ladder of success you look, people live in an unstable condition from which they will fall, and everyone's life is filled with trouble and sorrow. See, the dark dimensions of this psalm are declarations, statements of what is. We are dry and withered by the evening of our lives. Our 70 or 80 years on this earth are filled with trouble and sorrow. Our days are numbered, that the number is few, and there will be dark and difficult days. But there is hope. It can be different. It can be better if God wills. If God will have compassion on us. So, so Moses turns from the declarations in the beginning of this psalm to, to an entreaty, to a prayer at the end. But, but note, Moses does not dare to proclaim, this is the way it will be. He, he doesn't even say, do this, O, o people of God, and God will cause the, the path to be smooth before you. No, no he simply cries out to the only one who has the power to make things the way they ought to be. And he prays in verse 13, O Lord, relent, have compassion on us. In other words, forgive us our sins. 
Because it is our sins that have made our life on earth so brief and bitter. It is our sins that that have brought the judgment of God upon this world. So we need for God to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, everything, every good thing in life depends upon the mercy of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And because Moses trusts in the compassion and the mercy of God, because he knows the God with whom he has walked these 40 years, he continues to pray in verses 14 and 15. Make us glad. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. I mean, satisfy us with your unfailing love so we can sing for joy the rest of our lives. Now, I think Moses is praying for more than he realizes in this song. I mean, yes, he's praying that the children of Israel will be able to enter the promised land. And in a few short years, this prayer of Moses is answered. The children of the men and women who wandered for 40 years in the wilderness did enter the land flowing with milk and honey, and they enjoyed its bounty for generations. But but in the end of the day, this promised land, as good as it was, turned out to be less than they hoped for, less than Moses prayed for. I mean, it turned out, again, because of human sin, to be another land filled with trouble and sorrow, which would soon pass away or be taken away, as God counts soon. And then what happened? Do you know? Well, eventually the promised land became a picture, a prophetic picture of something bigger something better, a kingdom yet to come, a kingdom in which God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, a kingdom, therefore, which could finally be without trouble and sorrow, without darkness and death, and everything that smells of death, a kingdom finally ruled by a good and wise king who would reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. And Moses, the man of God, lived to see that kingdom come. Because one day, more than a millennia, a thousand years after Psalm 90 was written, Moses stood on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Elijah as well. And they saw Jesus in all his glory transfigured before their very eyes. They saw the coming of the king, God's Messiah, who would reign forever and fulfill all the promises of God and the promises inherent in the creation of God. And I think that's the deep truth hidden in this psalm. I mean, yes, our days on earth are numbered. And their number is few. And they are brief and sometimes bitter. But our God reigns. Our God reigns. And his kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming. But but not only that. 
You and I can actually enter his kingdom today. Not in, not in all its glory. That, that day is yet to come. But, but today, we can be citizens of the kingdom of God, even members of God's household, sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord, which means we can actually be at home with God. We can actually dwell with him, even in these days of trouble and sorrow. And as we do that, we can experience a measure of the love and the joy and the peace of God's kingdom to come. And God will also make our lives fruitful. I mean, oh, how I love the ending of Psalm 90. And how often I find myself praying it. Verse 17. May, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, come on. What makes this short, hard life worth living? The kingdom to come, the, the day of eternal gladness and unending justice, which will last forever and ever and ever. Yes, certainly. But not only that. See, according to this prayer of Moses, even the work we do now in this brief and sometimes bitter life, that work can make life worth living. If the eternal God in whom we live and move and have our being will establish the work of our hands, that, that is, if he will cause our work to take root and to grow and to bear good fruit, that then what we do in this life can also be deeply, even eternally meaningful. I mean, what we do when, when we raise a family. What we do when we build a community, what we do when we care for this planet God has given us, what we do when we work justice in this world. I mean, just, just think of the life Moses lived. I mean, the work he did, leading the people of God those 40 years in the wilderness. Think of the laws he wrote and the stories he told, which are recorded in the first five books of our Bible, the Torah, which has become the, the theological and historical foundation of the people of God for thousands of years. See, I cannot think of the work of any single human being which has been more established, more fundamental and fruitful than this man's work, with the exception of the brief and bitter life of Jesus. See, our days are numbered. They are few and often filled with trouble. And the wise know that very well. But the wise also know that God is eternal. And the eternal God can make our futures secure and he can make our futures bright. And he can fill our days with good work, 
good work that can be a foretaste of the kingdom to come if we will repent of our sins and commit ourselves to the work of his kingdom in this life and if we will put our hope fully and finally in him. I mean, I've told this story before and I don't like to repeat stories. But, but as I was thinking and meditating on this psalm, it, it was just crying out to be told again. It, it's a story about a man who had a very foolish servant. And one day in exasperation, the, the master said to his servant, I think you are the most foolish man I have ever met. You're dismissed. But, but before you go, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take my staff and carry it with you wherever you go. And if you ever find a man more foolish than you are, give him that staff. And then that day, the, the master and servant parted ways. And through the years, the servant met many, many people he thought might be more foolish than himself, but, but he was never quite sure. So he kept the staff. And then one day, the servant came back to the master's village. And the master wanted to see him because unbeknownst to the servant, the master was sick unto death. And when they at long last met, the master finally said to his servant, I'm, I'm going on a long journey from which I will never return. Well, when, when will you be coming back, sir? And this, said the servant, well, like I said, I don't expect to come back. But this is the most important journey in my life. I'm sure of it. Well, well have, you, have you made preparations then? The servant asked. No, the master replied, I have not. I've been too busy, or at least I thought I was too busy. Too concerned about other things. Well, well, could you have made preparations, sir? <laughs> yes, I could have. The truth is, I, I had a lifetime to prepare for this journey. I, I knew it was coming, but I just never managed to get prepared. And so pausing for some time, the servant slowly replied, let me see if I understand what you're telling me. You're going on a journey from which you will never return. And it is the most important journey in your life. And you could have made preparations for it. You've known about this journey all your life, but you have failed to prepare for it. And with that, the servant took the staff and he handed it back to his master. I have finally met a man more foolish than myself. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let us pray. Oh, Father, you have revealed your truth to us throughout thousands of years of history recorded in your word. And in these last days, you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And you have made a way by your son, through your son, for us to be restored to you and to have life eternal and to participate in your kingdom. And now you have given us your spirit so we might abide in you day by day until the day we reign with you forever. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts and teach us to number our days correctly so that we may gain a heart of wisdom and we may put that wisdom into practice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.